singularity. My name is Nicola, aka Socrates, and you're watching Singularity One on One. Singularity One on One is a regular podcast feature of Singularity Weblog, where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. As always, I will be the man with the questions, and today the man with the answers will be Amon Kaukin or Amon Zero from Zero State. So welcome, Amon. I'm very happy to have you on the show. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me. Just um, just to let you know, it's um, it's Amon actually. <laughs> Amon. Did I mess up your name? Oh, it's just the way it's spelled. But yeah, Amon. Amon. So. Okay. Great. And and what about the family name? Is it Kalkin? Uh, actually, it, it is Kalkin, but it's it's a pen name. It's not uh, it's not my given family name, but it's what I use for everything that we're talking about today. So. Oh, I see. <laughs> Very well. So just like I'm Socrates, you're Kalkin. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So let's jump right in the conversation here and let's see what is zero state? Right. Um, well, zero state's uh, it's a community. We, we have said movement in the past, but it's a community um, that's based around a lot of transhumanist and futurist ideas. But essentially... Um, I've been involved with transhumanism and the futurist uh, scene for for quite a few years now. For the most part, I was pretty quiet in the background. Uh, But as time went on, um, I started to want to get more involved, get more active. And it seemed to me that most of the groups out there didn't want to represent the arts or some non-science, non-technical aspects to things, um, even though I think technology is at the heart of futurism, the heart of transhumanism, you know, there are questions like what relationship do these issues have to society or politics or economics, uh, religion, whatever, uh, the arts. And so Zero State was about um, addressing that kind of stuff. And also um, it was about building sort of a virtual state, essentially, like a, a, an organization where you've got you build your own community, your own rules, that kind of thing. Um, and one of the reasons for that was that within this community, you could say, well, we're going to try to build uh, like a miniature society that runs a certain way. Um, and then whether or not people want to be involved is their choice. You know, So it's different to your normal kind of change the world type movement because they normally sort of impose their values on everyone. They say this is how the world should be, whereas we're saying we, we want to build a sphere of influence, and we've got a bunch of ethical values, rules, principles that apply within that sphere, and outside of the sphere is other people's business. So, so um, at heart, it's a, started out as transhumanist, and it's sort of branching out into other areas. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, on your website, you say that Zero State is a community affiliated with the wave movement for positive social change through technology. So I'd like to break this statement into parts and and talk a little bit about each of those. Sure. So, first off, do you want to add anything else to uh, the meaning and the purpose of zero state itself? Well, I mean, one one caveat is that um, the statement you just read is a a recent variant. up until up until recently, it just would have said zero state is a movement for positive social change through technology, which um, 
which is pretty much straight up. I mean, that's the tagline. It sums it up, sums it up. Um, and where that's relevant to what I was saying before is just that the social change part is something that a lot of people don't address. You know, so transhumanism traditionally is about an individual changing through technology. Um, so, you know, you've got the core meme that you can and should enhance the human condition through technology. And this is the idea you apply that to uh, society. But um, the, uh, the idea of a wave or a wave movement or something like that, that was um, very recently, we've had these sort of spin-off organizations starting to appear, sort of political and religious and all sorts. And they didn't always share all the same ideas as zero states. So there was, things were starting to pull apart into different ideas and brands and so on. So we had the idea that there should be sort of a movement that hangs all these things together that's really minimal. Um, so they can all relate to it, but they don't have to, everyone doesn't have to agree about everything. And the wave idea is just the idea that there's a wave of change coming. Um, and that's bigger than the normal singularity idea, you know, the singularity idea that you've got technological development accelerating that's going to leave, leave some massive change. Um, but I think there are all sorts of trends going on, not just positive technological development, but you've got climate change issues, you've got uh, financial instability, um, all, all sorts of problems. You've got proliferating method, uh, weapons of mass destruction and so on. And a lot of these things are bad. Some are potentially good. And the idea is that um, even though not all of the trends we can see ramping up rapidly in the world now uh, will automatically come to be a major thing, it seems highly unlikely that all of them will turn out to be insignificant. So there are going to be major world-changing factors. Um, and the sum of the big stuff that changes, thats we use the symbol of a wave, the idea there's, a, there's like a, a major wave rolling in and humanity can either try to work to um, make something good out of that or it can um, just roll into the situation fairly un, unprepared. So... At the heart, wave is this idea that it's going to be massive change. Try to do something good with that. We've got ethical principles at the heart of it. And then zero states, um, a community related to that. And then there are other groups like Praxis and Consensus who've got other, other goals, but they just share the core idea. Mm -hmm. Now, on your website, you say that wave is a movement loosely organized around the idea that the wave of technological and social change is engulfing humanity and that this wave should be harnessed for good where possible. The wave motto is positive social change through technology. Now, tell me, what exactly do you mean by positive social change? Right. Um, well, the main, the main thing, I mean, obviously, positive depends upon your values, you know, so people are going to have different ideas of po what po positive is. Um, so there are two things to bear in mind here. One is, as I mentioned already, that uh, especially with zero state, um, the idea is about building um, your own space where you make things better for yourself. So it's not about imposing an idea of good on anyone. Um, it's about building, making things better, in whatever you consider to be better, and then letting people join in if, if they feel the same way. Um, but when it comes to defining what's better, um, the principles that we've got online, um, they were kind of crowdsourced, really. We basically got together as many transhumanists and futurists as we could have, just a big rambling discussion about if you're going to have ethical principles at the heart of your movement or organization before we had anything else, we thought, we'll start with principles. 
And the conversation went on for about three weeks, you know, the way internet conversations do, and rambled and rambled and rambled. And some people criticised us, said, you're doing nothing but talking about speculation and, you know, philosophy. But at the time, um, it was just about working out what we thought was good. Um, <clears throat> the key things that came out of that, um, one is there is sort of a an abolitionist sort of David Pierce type emphasis on reducing involuntary suffering. So... Emphasis on um, involuntary suffering. So as, as David Pierce himself says, um, we don't envisage joy gangs roaming around forcing people to be happy. <laughs> no, it's more like just if it's in our power and, and someone wanted our help um, to reduce their suffering, then that's one of, one of our ethical principles is that we should. Um, another is strict voluntarism. Um, there's stuff in there that's a bit more specific. So there's sort of um, trying to improve the environment. Um, so it's sort of very bright green in that respect. Heavy emphasis on being pro-technology. So basically any, even though there's a lot of universal ethical stuff um, that you could agree with, if you're generally opposed to technology, you're not going to get on with our principles. So mm -hmm. it, that's where it's sort of resolutely futurist. Yeah, I, I myself as a philosopher like the fact that you guys are beginning and starting with first principles. I think that's very important in my view because if you can't agree on those first principles, then you're building on a hollow foundation pretty much. Uh, but let me ask you this though. Now, the name itself, Zero State, is perhaps intuitively associated with one of two broader movements. One is the libertarian movement, which basically calls for the abolishing of the state. Yeah. Uh, and another one is the anarchist movement, which again uh, is basically for the abolishing of the state, even though the, the final outcomes in, those of those, in both of those options are very different between the yeah. anarchists and yeah. the libertarians. So is zero state libertarian, anarchist, or something else? Well, this is, this is something that comes up a lot. And this is another reason why, um, we kind of put the idea of wave at the center of things instead of zero state after a while. Um, let's put it, let's put it this way. Libertarians and anarchists are welcome as long as they see their views as compatible with principles. That's the golden rule. If, if a person or an activity or whatever is compatible with the principles, then fine, good, you're welcome. But as an organization, we're not libertarian. We did flirt with using anarchist um, as kind of a, a the anarchist label as part of our organizing principles, but that's kind of been thrown out the window too because it's just too much baggage. Um, there is a, a fairly common sentiment that um, um, that states, you know, an intrusive state is a problem. I mean, um, one a big theme in the principles is anti-authoritarianism. That's not just against overbearing states, but, you know, anyone who's going to try to force views on others. Um, one particular group of, or, or sort of a, a class of mindsets that is not sort of welcome around our way is sort of fundamentalism. Um, you know, anyone who's going to force a point of view on other people, um, that's not, not, not approved of. But, um, but, uh, Libertarianism, well, I know we've got a lot of libertarians, and the zero state name uh, was kind of unfortunate in that it kind of implies that we're libertarian. Um, and 
When we started out, we were a little naive in that we thought it would be cute to have a name that could mean a few different things. Um, and so, you know, that seemed like a good idea. Um, and uh, over time, the meaning we kind of settled on was this idea that zero sort of refers to like reset, like a, setting a counter back to zero. Um, and so it was all about renewal and change and taking nothing for granted. Uh, but yeah, it sounds a lot like a libertarian tag. Um, and for the libertarians who are in zero state, I'm sure they love that. Some of the other people don't love it so much, but we kind of reached the point where it was our brand and um, so we had to embrace it. So now the idea is that the wave thing is kind of more at the center um, and zero state is the virtual nation sort of part of, of the wave movement. So, you know, zero state's about community. Um, yeah, I, I like the, the name myself uh, to a certain degree, but I even more like the, the logo that you guys have. I think that the logo <laughs> is pretty cool. But uh, on the other hand, the downside of that is that people may automatically associate you with some of those groups and sort of put you in a bracket and not give you a fair shake, if you will, and, and try yeah. to dive deeper into your own, your group's ideas and, and philosophies and just simply presume that you're this or that? Well, yeah. The, the, I mean, the funny thing is that people do that so much, um, but they don't, I mean, apart from the, you know, liber, people assuming we're libertarian is a pretty common theme, but we've been assumed to be just about everything. Um, we've, um, you know, because, you know, the logo, another thing that we did really early on, the logo is fairly striking. Um, so some people automatically got it in their head that we were totalitarians, but they couldn't decide whether we were left wing or right wing. And it turns out we, you know, we don't like to use any of those labels and we're certainly not totalitarians. Um, but, you know, people just like to put things in pigeonholes. You know, what are you going to do? So <laughs> we're just, um, you know, it's a great way to start a conversation. You said you're not libertarian and you're not authoritarian. Are you utopian, you think, or you're not? Yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, I'll say, yeah, definitely utopian. Um, I mean, the one, the one saving grace we've got is that we've got a strong emphasis on trying to get practical things done, So, um, which can be interesting when you get sort of people coming from all sorts of transhumanist lists, which historically are about talking. You know, which is fine. There's some amazing conversations over the years have led to some real insights. But, you know, we've kind of got a rule that everything's going to tr eventually ground in our projects, if, if you possibly can. So if a conversation is going to go around and around and be unproductive and never help a project out, then it's um, probably not going to be tolerated as much as others might be. But, um, but aside from that pragmatism, yeah, we're strong, wildly utopian. Yeah, that's... Mm -hmm. yes, how, let me ask you, how big is uh, your community at the moment? I think, um, well, if you most most generally think about how a person might be involved, sort of reading the lists and that kind of thing, there's probably about 2,500 people right now. Um, active people who are sort of regular conversers or have got something to do with the project is probably more like about 500, and then the hardcore is probably about 100, 150 people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that, well, there's, and they're spread around the world. There are a couple of places where you get enough of them in one place that they can get together and have meetings. Um, the, the one such place is London, where I am. There's, there's a fair few of us get together here, where we've, we've got kind of a relationship with the, um, uh, the London Futurists group, which sort of grew out of the, uh, it's, 
it's all pretty complex, but it sort of grew out of the UK Transhumanist Association, which became Humanity Plus UK. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was one of the people involved sort of in the early days of that. So now there's just a general mixing of these different scenes, um, which is which is nice, actually. People are pretty open. So how long ago did you guys start the, the community? Uh, official launch was two years and four days ago. So it was um, 1st of May... 2011, which, um, so it's kind of become our anniversary, May 1st, which is another thing that throws people because some people think, oh, so you're socialist then because May 1st is your anniversary. It just happened to be that we finished our principles in April and launched them in May. But I, I kind of like that you can use the meme. And also, um, May 1st is, uh, um, you know, May Day for pagans, um, is, is uh, a notable day. And we've got more than our fair share of neo pagans as well, which, you know, Pretty curious mix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so, so perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about the the sort of the history or the genesis of uh, Zero State as a community. Who, who who was the one who was the finder or who were the people to find it? Why? What what was the motivation? What was lacking at the time? Or yep yep. Well, it's uh, it's a pretty interesting one. Um, it, I mean, there's a, there's a definite planned trajectory to sort of um, grow in phases. So, you know, Zero State has a phase that tries to kind of achieve a bunch of goals and then move on to sort of wider outreach. Um, so early on, um, well, I, I'm the founder. Um, there's no, no two ways about that. Um, but it's changed character a lot at each different stage. So... Early on, it, it actually grew out of, of all things, it grew out of an electronic band um, that I was uh, one of the founders of um, called Zykogen. Um, and um, so this was kind of industrial electronic music and pretty experimental. So um, we were hopelessly bad at sticking to sort of genre cliches. But what one thing we were really good at was going down to the pub after, after a practice session and getting really drunk and philosophizing and, you know, <laughs> And this would, you know, um, and, you know, this was one of these bands where everyone in the band is sort of wildly overeducated. So, you know, these were proper sessions. And the themes that would come up were sort of a mix of all the people in the group. So there was a lot of transhumanism and but economics and philosophy and stuff would kick in. And this was happening around the time that austerity, the, um, you know, the cutbacks started. Um, so there's sort of the social unrest. Um, and... So it sort of started as um, there was a group called Doctrine Zero that started as like the band's philosophy wing. So it was a mailing list just for discussing the wider stuff around the band. It wasn't just the music and the art. Um, and then after a while, uh, what happened was I came across um, Rachel, what Rachel Haywire was up to. She was sort of building communities and she also um, was coming to transhumanism from sort of a subculture background. Um, and she was doing things that were similar to what I'd been moving toward, except I was, um, I work in academia by day and I was being a lot more conservative about things and I could see that she was having some pretty wild success. And I thought, well, if she can do this, I can do this. So I sort of jumped in and, um, uh, she and I, you know, we had quite a few sort of differences of personality and approach. So it made sense for me to do something a bit separate. So um, Doctrine Zero then spawned Zero State, which was the idea of meant to be this larger group. Um, now there's a bit of legacy there, and that Doctrine Zero is the mailing list where we've got sort of a lot of old um, 
a lot of sort of extropians and uh, sort of hardcore transhumanists sort of on that list. And then we've got other places like Facebook where people have got more general interests coming from other areas. Um, so I'd say it went from being a couple of dozen people on a band-related list around 2008. Then it's around 2010 um, expanded up to about 100 people on the mailing list which is pretty interesting, have to say to a mailing list, I'm going to invite a whole lot of new people in here, brace yourselves, and this sort of happens every once in a while, and the whole character changes. Um, but now we're sort of spread across um, sort of various Facebook groups, mailing lists, and then um, I think one thing that distinguishes us from a lot of other groups is there are a lot of little little groups that are all focused on tasks and projects, so they have their teams of maybe six, a dozen people and they've got a project they're working on, and they'll just kind of report back to the main group every once in a while. So sort of media, um, economics, a lot of Bitcoin emphasis, stuff like that. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in, in those projects. And uh, but before we get that, before we get there, perhaps I want to ask you a couple of other structural questions. Where do you guys get your funding from? Do you have any funding at all? Uh, uh, no, we're... Um, we're pretty poor, as organizations go. Um, we've got a membership system, but um, we haven't been sort of pushing it hard because we we wanted to we wanted to have a membership system that meant that um, no one had to pay money. So you could be a you could be a free member, and then if you choose to get more involved, you can be a supporting member and pay some money and that kind of thing. And of course, when you set things up that way, almost no one wants to pay. So that means there's not a lot of money that way. Um, uh, and that's fine, but we're now starting to sort of branch out and do some projects where um, um, the model so far, and it's probably not one we'll be able to sustain, is that there'll be a goal and we'll say, okay, we're doing a certain thing. Um, like one example is we set up a, um, a server in Iceland. It's, the whole idea is we didn't want to be Pirate Bay or anything, but the whole idea to have a server that was um, following on from our principles that was a a fair way outside of the normal sort of jurisdictional, you know, if you're, if you're going to have a, a server that's unlikely to be easily shut down or um, investigated or whatever, um, then Iceland's a good place to have it. And we're not doing anything that would warrant investigation or anything like that, but it's just sort of the, the principle. We wanted to show solidarity with Iceland. So what we did for that was just said to people, okay, we're going to set up an Iceland server. We need people to pitch in to make this happen, here's how much money we need, and do a whip round. And we've got enough people that you do that, and we had the money in a couple of hours. Um, so we've kind of been doing things on an ad hoc basis up to now. We don't have um, backers or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, let, let me stop you here, though, because you said you're a very poor organization, but I know one of your lofty projects or one of your lofty goals is perhaps to uh, as you put it in one of our preliminary conversations, to buy an island or to start up a country somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So that's a very expensive endeavor. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, okay, we'll talk about the money side of that in a moment. But the, uh, um, just to clarify, um, that sounds pretty grandiose. It also, it also sounds a lot like seasteading. That's not quite what we're hoping to do. The, um, the thing about Zero State is that it's... Um, it's about having sort of a distributed community. Like, so we use the words virtual and distributed. So, you know, we all know what virtual means, but also um, that you can have real-world communities, but they're fairly small and spread around the world. So um, 
which is kind of handy, you know, if if, uh, if something bad happens to one geographic area, then it doesn't affect more than a small percentage of any people. Um, but along with being distributed, we wanted to have at least one um, location where we had control over, well, not control over, but influence over the local um, legal situation um, just to have a bit of autonomy. So, for example, there are a lot of... Um, there are a lot of sort of things that transhumanists, for example, would advocate that don't really fit well with the local laws just about anywhere. Like for one example is with cryonics. Um, it's, it's speculative enough already, but when you're looking at uh, a lot of potential brain damage the moment someone's stopped breathing, um, a serious cryonics operation is probably what going to want to know in advance if someone's... Uh, going to stop breathing and then start putting their cryonics operations and um, into action immediately, um, even even a, to give someone anaesthetic and so on before they've uh, actually stopped breathing. And the problem is that, that in a lot of jurisdictions, that's just too close to euthanasia and they just won't have it. So so the thing is that what we want is some place where we can um, influence the local laws, have a bit more leeway, that kind of thing. The way to do that in this world, whether you like it or not, is to get somewhere where you've got enough monetary clout, enough uh, connections that you know you, basically you're not shut out of the decision-making process. And obviously, you'd have to be um, an extraordinary, uh, you know, a cabal of billionaires to do that in a big country. But in a tiny country, you you could potentially do it. So. What we're looking at is sort of setting up a center in a micronation somewhere, that kind of thing, or um, just a small Pacific nation or somewhere in the Caribbean. Um, now, the money, oh, and, and uh, the, the, um, the more hypothetically, the most ambitious end of the scale was the idea of having a center somewhere like New Zealand. Um, now, New Zealand is way out of our league. I mean, we're talking about 4 million uh, people live there, which is not many, but um, it's it's a modern nation with strong sets of rules and precedent and all that kind of thing. Um, what it does have um, is it's it's a pretty secular place. Um, there, you know, it's pretty open-minded, fairly pro-technology as a rule. Um, so you could get away with a lot there. Um, now, the, on the money side, we don't we don't have a lot of money, but we have a similar vision to other people out there who do have money. And one thing we are working on explicitly is sort of building a community. I mean, that's really what we're all about. And there are other people out there who have similar goals, but who are not focused on building a community. So the idea is to kind of set ourselves up um, in partnership. Now, obviously, we would like to have money <laughs> if anyone seeing this thinks these guys uh, have got a good idea I would like to help them out with money, then we wouldn't say no. But um, obviously um, what we're basically doing is it works on two levels. Um, on the one hand, we have projects that where if we can make any profit, then we try to prudently invest it in that kind of thing. And um, we generally see it as building resources. We don't like to kind of think in terms of money too much because there are a lot of things about the economic system in the world today that as, a, as an organisation we're not fond of. But... Uh, if you want to have any ability to have any influence or make any change, you've got to have resources. And then the other level is um, partnership with other organisations or individuals who 
have got resources already and have a similar vision. Mm -hmm. Do you have any notable members and or partners? Um, there, well, that it's could help you in, in all those efforts. It's hard to say. Um, there are, there are members who, um, there are members who I think of as, as notable who you could, you'd run into really quickly the moment you, um, visit our, um, our mailing lists or the Facebook group, especially the, the mailing list. Um, if you're, if you're a transhumanist, um, and you know, sort of, some of the people who have been some of the movers and shakers over the years, then you'll, you'll bump into them and, you know, but then you probably know them already. Um, if you know their names, um, I, I don't imagine any of them would appreciate me saying their names here, but, um, we don't have any firm organizational affiliations yet. We just haven't been looking for that up to now. Um, there just hasn't been any need for it. I mean, we've been reaching out to organizations saying, oh, we should chat and so on, but there's just no point in sort of endorsing anyone or seeking to be endorsed. And there are um, some people who we speak with who have resources, um, share our vision, but I, I just can't really kind of comment on, on who they might be because, again, they might not, they might not appreciate it. So, yeah, we, we, we're working on partnerships, but um, I can't say a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's okay. Perhaps you could just tell us... Uh... How far off is that idea about setting up something concrete? Is it like really, early, really early stages, or is there some traction on the topic? Or well, it's, okay, we we've existed for two years. Um, by my original reckoning, that that puts us in the very, very early stages. Um, my original, even being optimistic, my original timeline was to aim to have a presence somewhere, a very modest presence somewhere about 2020, 2022, mm -hmm. which would put us sort of, you know, 10 years in thereabouts. Um, the, the thing is that since then we've been meeting people who do have resources and similar vision and also the world sort of economic situation um, and other aspects of the world situation have been concerning us and other people we've been talking to. So things seem more urgent than they seemed two years ago. Um, I mean, a lot of our members are, are in Europe. I mean, America's had its fair share of problems, but a lot of our members are in Europe, and Europe's having some serious problems now. Um, so it doesn't mean we're – I mean, we're not as prepared as we'd like to be, but suddenly things feel more urgent. So whether, whether or not uh, the situation's tractable, well, we're looking at a couple of, a couple of possibilities. Um, I would say – I'd say realistically there's about a 50-50 chance that we'll have an intentional community set up somewhere in three years. Um, and that's, you know, that uh, right now it's about as, about as concrete as I, I could be. Uh, anything else would just be guessing. But, I mean, one thing we have decided to do is to have sort of a, a, a big meeting of all the different parts of, uh, parts of the different organizations. Um, because everything's kind of spreading and splintering as we grow, um, after it, sort of every five years. So we're the first one to be five years from when we were founded. So we've got three years to go. So we're going to try to do as much as we can by then, sort of say, Oh, look, look at what we've achieved. Um, right now, the situation is that we've got, we've got friends around the world who are working on this kind of stuff. Um, some of them have serious budgets. 
um, and we're already working on this kind of thing. Um, so it's a matter of us just trying to coordinate with them. Um, so we don't really know how that will go, but we do have uh, some friends who are going around the Pacific at the moment, checking out locations, talking to people, that kind of thing. And it looks um, looks really promising. Now, one thing we're looking at in terms of sort of getting the money to um, to do any of this really uh, is the sort of volatile Bitcoin situation. Because um, you know, a lot of sort of tech-oriented people have noticed Bitcoin a lot earlier than other people. Now the cat's out of the bag after Cyprus. I think everyone knows about Bitcoin. But the thing is that um, a lot of sort of... Uh, you know, futurist pro-tech people are holding Bitcoins from back in the days when Bitcoins didn't cost anything, really, to speak of. Um, so you only need um, a few hundred people like that, and you might have the beginnings of some serious resources. But um, anyway, we're looking into it. So I'd say, yeah, come back in a few years, and I'll say 50% chance that we uh, – we might be able to have this conversation on a beach in a small Caribbean island somewhere. Who knows? But uh, Yeah, that'd be great. I'd come to visit you. The only thing is I'd say try and stay away from the Caribbean if you can so that you're as far from the United States as possible, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that they cannot reach anywhere else on the planet, but I'm just saying the Caribbean is, like, way too close for comfort, I think. Yeah, yeah. So the Pacific might be a little bit better, I think. Well... You know, part of this, um, I, our, our attitude is, um, even though we're, we're sort of, we are utopian and we're trying to be practical and level headed about things. Um, one thing it's always handy to bear in mind is that everything could fail completely. And so what we, you know, and it probably will on a lot of the projects. Um, so what we're trying to do every step of the way is to, um, document what we do so that it could be useful to anyone else who wants to do some of these things. Um, so even if we fail, someone else can kind of pick up the documentation and go, well, here's what they did wrong, and then pick it up and run with it. So hopefully uh, the things we do will sort of be of value to the community regardless of how we get on. Um, yeah, but we, we shall see. Uh, it's in phase, but like I said, there's a sense of urgency now, which is a bit of a worry. But Yeah. I actually recently um, interviewed uh, an author who is a former National Geographic journalist called Zoltan Istvan. He's a Hungarian-born uh, American citizen uh, mm -hmm. who recently published a book called uh, The Transhumanist Wager. Um, and he talks about there a country called Transhumania. Oh, okay. So I'd recommend if you have a chance to check it out. I will do. That uh, might give you some, some ideas. Uh, Let's move on and talk a little bit more about the, the general meaning of transhumanism and what do you think it is, or at least in your community's view. Because, of course, there's a lot of shades and different yeah. interpretations of the term. So what is transhumanism in your view? Um, right. As an organization, we don't define it. In fact, as an organization, we... Um, we dodged the issue a little bit by sort of referring to human enhancement as being good and that kind of thing, but generally not using the word transhumanism. Um, but my personal view, 
um, was sort of laid out pretty strong early on. So it kind of tends to inform most of our conversations. And I, I just, um, I think it was Anders Sandberg who, who came up with the idea um, of the, the central meme of transhumanism, the CMT, so that, that we can and should improve the human condition using technology. So this is like the most conservative, simple definition. Um, and it's the only thing, in my opinion, it's the only thing all transhumanists have in common because after that, after that common idea, then all hell breaks loose. You know, you've got, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, me, um, even though I came to it later than others, I'm old enough to think of myself as an extropian. Um, um, it's so that, that kind of early, you know, I, I remember when Extropy was um, sort of a pretty dominating um, brand within transhumanism. And then everything started to sort of change and shift and, and you know, and rightly so. Um, but so ZS um, in many ways kind of um, harken, harks back to that, you know, sort of a gung-ho 1980s transhumanism. Um, one, one kind of common sentiment we have is that um, – Transhumanism kind of became a bit more, bit more beige, a bit more bland over time, um, trying to basically court the mainstream um, by emphasising things like um, existential risk and that kind of thing. Now that's that's all extremely valuable work, of course. But when I uh, when I was a teenager, the exciting thing about transhumanism was. Um, you know, the real full-on explore the universe, uh, mind uploading kind of stuff. Um, in you know, in many ways, kind of the um, where transhumanism inherited the spirit of Russian cosmism, just real go get them futurism. Um, I like that. Uh, um, so that kind of spirit tends to tends to pervade our point of view. Um, another thing is. Um, we were saying before about how people like pigeonholing organizations. In the past, we've had people think that we were a religious transhumanist group. Um, but that's only because we've made a point of saying that religion and spirituality has its place for individuals who want it to have a place for them. So, um, um, one of our, one of our members, Dirk Briere, has written a book called The Praxis, which is basically his attempt at coming up with a, um, a, transhumanist um, mythos that kind of recapitulates all the stuff that uh, religion, particularly uh, Christianity, does, and just using secular means. Um, it Weirdly, it comes across as more full-on than sort of reading a Bible or something like that, because the ideas kind of seem a little, um, uh, I don't know, a little more, more jarring because they're not as familiar. You, you know, they're not stories you heard growing up as a kid. Um, Unless you were reading Asimov when you were six or something, you know, pretty heavy stuff. So, um, so one thing we have is, um, that we tend to, people who like the idea that transhumanism shouldn't necessarily rule out religion, they tend to kind of gravitate our way. Um, you know, so, so we have a lot of friends over at Cheering Church and that kind of thing. Are you personally religious? Um, well, let's put it this way. If, if I'm at a party and I think, and someone asks me that and I, they don't seem a very interesting person, I'll say I'm an atheist because it's, it's technically true in sort of a very rough way, uh, and it shuts down a boring conversation. Um, but I, my personal leanings are more kind of, um, 
Taoist with dashes of sort of neo-paganism, but that's mostly kind of aesthetics. It's kind of like ways I choose to live my life, but my metaphysics is just basically I don't I refuse to believe anything that's um, incompatible with evidence. <laughs> so, you, know, you said your day job is in academia, right? Yeah, I'm a cognitive scientist. Um, so coming from psychology. So are you a professor or? Uh, well, in American terms, I'm, I'm a um, researcher and do some teaching, but mostly I research people's insight in their decision making. So. Cognitive science. Yeah, yeah. So, so coming from um, my in, my early interest was AI, but coming from a psychology background. Um, mm. so, Fascinating. Yeah, it's it's interesting stuff. Um, you know, my two big. Um, two big interests early on were sort of uh, cognitive science with sort of AI as its um, center of gravity for me and sort of the arts. But uh, And on the arts side, it was mainly because I I could kind of see the arts converging into something like virtual reality, you know, um, where these days you've got, uh, well, you know, all the media are sort of bleeding into one now and it's, it might not be quite what Timothy Leary imagined, but it's starting to become something like virtual reality. So, yeah. Let me ask you then, with your background, what's your take on the technological singularity? Ah, um, and how could it be related to what you're trying to accomplish with zero state? Okay. Well, I'm not a... I'm not... I don't call myself a singularitarian, but um, I'm not completely hostile to the idea either. I mean, um, I think the two things that are most likely to bug me are if someone assumes that singularity is inevitable or if they kind of turn it into something mystical um, and they kind of refuse to... Um, Defined terms. Actually, a, th a third thing that bugs me is when people assume a singularity would be a good thing. And that's increasingly a common thing. You know, come the singularity, everything's going to be okay. And that kind of winds me up. But that said, um, intelligence explosion looks um, likely. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm a... I'm a um, I think, you know, if you go back to the sort of the more modest ideas of um, singularity as intelligence explosion, um, I think there's good odds that such a thing could happen. Um, and I probably would put it around 2040 to 2050, um, similar to sort of Ray Kurzweil. I thought his angle was pretty pretty neat and that he just defines it as a period of ex rapidly accelerating change, which is a really conservative definition for a lot of transhumanists. Um, for zero state, well, it is, um, it's a neat riff, you know, it's kind of a neat um, image, you know, so we, we kind of obviously drawing on it with this idea of the wave, um, but the, you know, the wave is not just a technological singularity, it's massive change, um, probably technologically mediated. But the big thing for us is that it's not automatically good and it's not automatically about any given technology or set of technologies. It's just a whole bunch of factors converging. Um, one thing uh, we did say pretty early on in, in our principles right from the first version um, was that there was massive change coming uh, that 
and we borrowed from the singularity idea to say that it probably has an event horizon, you know, so there's a certain point after which you can't predict what's going to happen with any, any predictive, uh, competence. And at that point, we kind of said that, um, artificial intelligence, virtual reality type technologies, nanotechnologies, these are going to be extremely important. Um, so one of them, one of the, I said before that, you know, with doctrine zero and zero state that we like the idea there were multiple meanings. One of the, one of the meanings with zero early on was the idea of, um, uh, an event horizon. There's a lack of knowledge about the future. My, my take on that is that, um, some people say, oh, well, you know, this is kind of a, just an assumption that we wouldn't be able to predict what was going to happen after a certain point. But I would say, look at society now. We can't predict um, if you take three technological or social factors um, that are playing out now, we can't meaningfully predict and respond to how those things are going to play out over even two years. I mean, there will be some people in society who will make a prediction that maps onto what happens, but the chances that we'll have listened to them and done something about what they have to say as a society um, before the event is pretty much nil. I mean, if we couldn't if we couldn't stop a fairly vanilla and foreseeable economic meltdown like the one we got in two thousand and eight, how are we going to deal with a more complex situation like intelligence explosion? Um, so yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a huge and massive issue, but I kind of shy away from calling myself a singularitarian because increasingly there's a bunch of baggage comes with that. It's turning it's turning into a new religion. Um, which, do you think so? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, there are people within it who are really rigorous about trying to avoid that, but they're in the minority increasingly. So, I mean, they're, I, I guess what's happening is that they've got a fantastic meme. I say they, I mean, I, I buy into it to a degree. So, um, there's this powerful, powerful meme. And the thing about memes is that they're like the proverbial horse that's gotten out of the stable. Once that horse, there, there's no getting it back in. So, you know, once a powerful idea like that gets about, you can't tell people, oh, no, this is what it means, and it can only mean this. The idea is out in the world, and the more popular it gets, the people who are rigorous about a narrow definition are going to be an increasingly small proportion. Um, I, but that said, you know, basically this is a, a, a good observation about where society seems to be going um, the, the trajectory of humanity over the entirety of its history, um, you know, to take the sort of Kurzweil line, this is a trajectory that arguably you could retrofit back over long before humanity existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people have mapped that onto sort of real likely developments this century, but then it's kind of spreading out to become, well, it's kind of recapitulating all the major religions of the world now. And, you know, people are, interpreting it in terms of what they know. That's to be expected. Uh, My goal in inviting you here today was to basically try and shed light on your movement and your growing community uh, from the source, as it were. And I think uh, we've managed to shed some light on that, and we're also running out of time. So let me ask you the traditional two questions that I always ask at the end of my interviews. And the first one is, where can people find more about Zero State? 
first place to go is zerostate.net, um, and everything is linked from there on the front page. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's where you go. That's the best place. Okay. And is there a final message that you would like our viewers and listeners to take away from this interview with you today? The most important thing, perhaps, that you want to send out? I think the most important thing, I think that times are changing rapidly and powerfully and in ways that are almost certainly out of our control as a society. And that the futurist and transhumanist and singularitarian communities have got some incredibly intelligent, creative, visionary people. So what I would do is I'd say that I would, regardless of whether people want to get involved with, with Zero State or any other organization, I would, I would encourage people to reject apathy. You know, use that intelligence, use that vision, cooperate, find projects, get involved with them, think, you know, identify what you think is the likely to be the, the biggest problems emerging as things change rapidly in the very near future and find groups of intelligent, like-minded people and help them achieve concrete goals. You know, get out there and do stuff. That's what I would suggest. And, you know, ideally come and do it with us, come over to Zero State. But, you know, I, I'd be uh, equally happy to just see people cooperating more um, generally. Mm-hmm. Reject apathy. I like that very much. <laughs> Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much, Nicole.